This is where the pressure begins. Though slightly disjointed, I promise not to take us too far out of order. The, the words that come to mind really quickly that I want us to hang on to are uh, our will and our life. And I think that that pertains to both our scripture readings. I think that directly relates to some of what we'll talk about today. Uh, our will being our beliefs, our faith, our life being uh, our actions, how we exemplify those beliefs in the world that we're in. So for brief introduction, many of us have already met. I have been working with and around the presbytery. This will be the 20th year that I have been working with the presbytery directly on behalf of churches and congregants to reach out to help the homeless communities around us. I have a bit of an education that uh, allows me to say I know what I'm doing. I am proud to say that my undergraduate degree came from a Christian college, which helped me uh, very much along the way because I grew up in an unchurched family and came to my faith relationship later in life. And as I worked on my undergraduate degree at Rochester College, the, the sense and understanding of not just my beliefs, not just my will, but more importantly, my life, the exemplification of that uh, really ingrained in me. And so when Pastor Anders and I had chatted briefly uh, about what scriptures we wanted to talk about today, uh, he had one in mind and I had one in mind. Interestingly, they both aligned, I think, very well when we discuss our will and our life. Pastor Anders uh, had recommended James 2, 14 through 16. I had suggested John 5, 1 through 9. Part of what Pastor Anders had asked me to do while I was up here was also take some time to talk about Welcome In, which is the homeless outreach program that I oversee. Uh, instead of doing that, I had prepared a video presentation, which we will see briefly. Then in follow-up conversation, Pastor Anders let me know that not only were we going to have a fairly decent crowd on a holiday, which he said initially we wouldn't, um, is that we broadcast this. And so the presentation that we will see did have beautiful music that went with it, but the reality of the world that we live in is copyright strikes means that the message might not get out. So it will be a video without sound. It is not long, and I might chatter or prattle on over it as we go and then we'll progress forward. I think that it is best to say that I'm going to maybe more deliver a message. I am certainly not a preacher, would never profess to be. I am someone who constantly struggles with ensuring that my life, my actions, exemplify the faith that I claim to hold to, and I am someone who often struggles. So uh, I am one of us. I am not someone that is here by any stretch to tell a group of people who they should be. I am here to talk about who we are together and how I perceive these messages relate. So our first scripture reading is going to be James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. 
And it reads, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet does nothing to supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one? You do well? Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown? I'm sorry, do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed in God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called to the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab, the prostitute, also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. I'm a fan of James. A lot of people find James, my experience, is to be a little contradictory to some of the other stories in the Bible. My understanding is James is one of the older ones, written about 45, 44 uh, AD. And my perception of James is that it is a practical explanation for someone certainly like me, uh, beneficial who grew up in the absence of a faith relationship, but now has an understanding that belief alone in this world isn't enough. Demons believe in God. Demons believe in Jesus, but their behavior does not justify that. So belief alone is not enough to exemplify our faith relationship. For those of you who don't know about the relationship between Greenfield Presbyterian Church and Welcome In Day Center, um, Welcome In is also in its 20th year of operation. And from my recollection, and I'm sure someone can tell me if I'm wrong, but Greenfield has been a part of that since the absolute beginning. The inception of a program that reaches out to the homeless citizenry in our community, in large part, started from efforts and energies and works that existed in this building. So before we go on and talk a little bit more about perhaps John, which is one of my favorite, Let's take a moment and we will look at about three minutes, a little history of Welcome In, but more importantly, uh, a visual understanding of the volume of work that can get done when a group of people with the same faith, with the same will, put that forth into the world that we're in. So if we can play, again, no music and I'm not going to sing. <laughs> I know, right? Trying to figure out how to turn the microphone off. 
And I'm not going to read for you, but if there is something that you see that catches your eye, raise a hand. We can circle back to it. This is a startling statistic. Half a million people. And in our state alone, 63,000 people on average each year experience homelessness. The cluster that we're in is the lower right green cluster, and that has the largest percentage of homeless in our state. And in our county, these are accurate numbers, at minimum 3,000 homeless people in Oakland County. The breakdown is important because people need to understand that homelessness affects everybody. Men, women, black, white, yellow, blue, young, old. And we have what are called chronically homeless. Those are folks that are consistently homeless time and time again, spread out over years. Every year when someone becomes homeless, 10% of those people are at risk of becoming chronically homeless. The chronic homeless population utilizes over half of all resources available. We're going to circle back to this picture, but take a look at it really quick. Imagine beautiful music. And this is where works come into action. Next time, Diane will work on a musical number. It was so much more spirited as I was thinking about this at home prior to finding out you were on YouTube and the music was playing. Is it possible once we get to the last bullet point to pause for a moment? Almost. Almost. Here. Thank you. Take a look at that. In an average 14-week winter season. Quick raise of hands. Who's never heard of Welcome In? Who's never heard? I saw that win. You're one of our best volunteers. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> and Budgie, come on now. Welcome In very quickly started as a response to a need. Welcome In was not a group of people in churches and a group of people in the community sitting around looking for something good to do. Welcome In started 20 years ago this season as a response to a group of churches in our community that started providing emergency winter shelters during the coldest weeks of the months in winter. They started that in the mid-90s. And while that is an amazing feat and an amazing and beautiful uh, display of our works or our deeds, what that did was change the landscape, at least during the winters, of the homeless population in our neighborhood. If any of us have grown up around here, 
we've seen that there are homeless people. There always have been, right? The Bible speaks of it. We leave the corners of our crops untended for those who can't or won't. But when groups of churches during the winter opened their doors and said, as long as you are not a threat to yourself or someone else, you can come in and you can be safe, that started drawing people to the neighborhood that weren't here before. Unfortunately, the churches that started the night shelter system that still exists today had schools and daycares on their grounds, which meant that in the morning, all of the guests that they brought in, they would have to put out onto the street at 7 a.m. every morning. And those folks would hide, right? These are the mid-90s, so whether it's Berkeley, Royal Oak, Ferndale, the street names were the same, but the landscape of the community wasn't. And so we went from a homeless population in Royal Oak that was roughly three or four at that time to one that was abruptly 25, 30, 35, depending on the temperature, depending on the access to services. And so it became evident that there was a need. Certainly shelter at night when it is freezing outside is critical, but what do we do during the day? Well, then they were hiding out under overpasses, hiding out literally in people's backyards, hiding out in the woods, waiting for the shelters to open. And so members of the community, our parent nonprofit, if you see across the top, it says South Oakland Citizens for the Homeless. That's exactly what we are. It was members of the community. It was members of this church. It, were, it was members of the governing board of Common Ground Sanctuary. It was representatives from Royal Oak and Ferndale government came together and said, if you churches that are doing wonderful things are going to do this, someone has to help people during the day. And that's why the Welcome Inn was started. We don't do night sheltering. 20 years later, we help coordinate night sheltering. We've got a great list of churches that we work with. But we grew as a response to a need that at 7 a.m. every morning during Michigan's coldest days, people who had come to our community for help and safety abruptly would find themselves without either. Our season spans 14 weeks on average. That's because that's how many weeks we can get the night shelters we work with to provide the service. Let's understand what the volume of that service is before we even go to this number. Prior to COVID, so there's a little asterisk that says pre-COVID stats because COVID messed up everything. Prior to COVID, the night shelters we work with would average 110 guests a night, every night for the duration of the season. We at the day center would see 55 or more. Volumes and volumes and volumes of service. So when we look at the works of Welcome In, in 14 weeks, serving over 10,000 meals, that's an enormous amount of food. And this isn't food packs. These are prepared on site, in kitchens, by volunteers. Warm, nutritious meals, not snack boxes, not shelf-stable items that will last for 20 years if they're not opened. These are meals because part of what we do is connect to each other over food. It has been that way forever. But how does a program that has four employees, most of them seasonal, do that. We do that with your help. 
in an average season, we would care for 225 unique guests. This one is a point of pride because programs that provide year-round service to homeless in Oakland County see just marginally more people. So in a third of the amount of time, because of the works of our will, we provide help to almost as many as programs that operate year-round. We also, as of course, because food is just not enough, right? It's one of the scriptures Anders and I talked about was Matthew 25. But after 20 years working in homelessness, it's almost cliche. Of course we should feed hungry. Of course we should clothe hunger or clothe the naked. And we have that clothing closet, laundry, medical service providers, access to services. What more can we do? And today, what Welcome In does, you can go ahead and press play. Thank you. Oh, that's okay. See, we're getting through this together. Anders, I, I told him, I said, I'm gonna do my best not to embarrass you. And he said, don't worry, you can't embarrass me. And I said, challenge accepted. <laughs> I won't make you stop it again, so that's okay. We'll get there. Almost. Good thing I stopped closer to the beginning. The people watching this on YouTube are loving it. <laughs> As I'm standing here silent, they're like, did it freeze? Am I buffering? That's okay, while we're doing that, I'm gonna to jump to another part. Not the scripture, don't worry. I felt it important to give two stories that deeply impacted me to the point that I have now spent 20 years working with street level homelessness. 20 years, I'll be 50 soon. Uh, so a fair amount of time. In my first introduction to the nature of how we, as a society, treat the homeless occurred when I was 19 years old. I was at the time studying to become a paramedic in the city of Detroit. So that would have put us in the early 90s. Very, very different time. Very, very complicated time. Well, while I was studying, I happened to be downtown Detroit, and I was sitting along a wall. There was what was then an NBD bank. Those of us who are older will remember that NBD was a bank. It is now Chase. And on Griswold, there is a wall that starts at street level, and as the street kind of goes down, the wall gets gradually higher, so there are spots that you can sit. And I was sitting there one day 
eating my lunch. And I was reading through some stuff that I had for a test later because there's a lot of medical components that go into studying to be a paramedic. And as I'm sitting on the wall, I've got an orange crush. It's a summer day and it's a beautiful, shiny glass bottle of orange crush, right? It used, we used to get popping bottles. And as I reached for some materials, I accidentally hit the bottle and the bottle rolled off the wall and it hit the sidewalk and it shattered. Well, first I was shattered because I had just had one sip out of that orange crush. But second, my mother raised someone who is very considerate. And my first thought was, is that someone who works here is now gonna be stuck dealing with this, so I should probably try to take care of it. And I looked up the street and there happened to be a guy who was going around with one of the sweepers and the buckets. He worked for NBD and he kept the grounds clean. And so I walked up the block to him and I said, excuse me, sir, do you have a box or maybe a paper bag uh, and a broom because I dropped my glass bottle up the way and I don't want to leave it on the sidewalk. And he looked at me and he smiled. And I thought this was going to be a good moment. And he said, no, don't worry about it. I've got it. I said, wow, really cool. And then he added, he goes, I like to put glass in the dumpsters. So that way when the bums go through the dumpsters, they cut their hands. And he smiled and walked away. That was my first, as someone who was born and raised in the suburbs, only experience to Detroit at that point was just downtown. So not pervasive levels of homelessness. That was my first experience with someone who just so casually held a natural contempt for people. And I thought, what on earth are these folks going through the NBD dumpsters for? Well, they're, they're looking for food. They're not going through trying to piece together hyper-shredded ribbons of paper so they can perform a corporate takeover. All right, let's be honest about that. And people do that. There are, there are nefarious people on all walks of life. But homeless people rooting through NBD's dumpsters in the early 90s were not looking to abscond with your credit information. They were looking for food. They were so hungry and so desperate, they were looking for food. And this human being, this human who is to be of God's creation, found joy in doing things that would perpetually harm others for simply trying to survive. That was my first experience. I remember it so vividly like it was yesterday. Now, this was, again was the early 90s. I didn't start working with the homeless almost 10 years later, but it sat and it grew. It was a seed. And then for many years, I worked for Pontiac, uh, an agency in Pontiac, working with men coming out of incarceration, teaching them parenting classes. Because the intention was, is if we can connect men to their children, it will reduce the chance that those men will go back to jail because they will have something to focus their intention and energy on. The belief was, and it's true to this day, that if they were involved in the lives of their children, not just from a guidance standpoint, but also helping to pay for the existence of those children, that the likelihood of those kids going to jail would decline. Well, at the time, I happened to have uh, bumped into a social worker that I was going to school with, and he was working at Fort Street Presbyterian Church. Fort Street right downtown, and Fort Street has a program called Open Door. And Open Door started in the 60s, and this friend of mine was getting ready to leave. This was 2002, 2003. He was going to work on his master's degree said, I work at this place two hours a week as a social worker. Do you want to come work here? And I was looking for other things to do. So I said, sure. And I went down and I started being the social worker, even though I have not a stitch of education in social work. 
Social work denotes someone who can help. Now, I do have education in psychology, but if you say you're a psychologist, people think you're going to tell them they're crazy, so they don't want to talk to you. Even though in today's world, social workers do most of the therapy. That's the fun part of it. The second story that I want to tell, though, is about a man named Walter Coles, and I don't have any problem saying his name. Sadly, he passed away years ago, but Walter infused me with so much understanding about works and deeds. Walter is a senior citizen at the time. He was in his late 60s. Walter grew up in Detroit. Walter was not a good man. Walter did not do good things within his community. He did not do good things for his community. At some point in his young adult or later adult or later youth stages, early adult life, Walter's lifestyle caught up to him. And some people hurt him very, very badly. They actually doused him and set him afire. Walter, as a result of that, lost his legs. Throughout many years of rehabilitation in life, Walter came to his faith relationship. He was a member of Fort Street Church. He was a volunteer at Open Door Program. And he would come down every day. And I would watch Walter, fold clothes, hour after hour, praise God, happy, good energy. And when Walter started to hurt and ache because he had two prosthetic legs, what did we think Walter did? He would sit down, and I remember distinctly, I would hear from across the room, thunk, the, that, that thunk sound as he would pop his prosthetics off. He would sit down in a chair, and he would go back to work. And I would say to him, Walter, you know, why don't you just take the afternoon off? And he said, God blessed me to be here. I have the time I'm going to give until I can't give anything else. And that has stuck with me. We will, oh, we already finished the video. Awesome. <laughs> this is a picture from Fort Street, and I will move on because Walter's story actually relates to the next scripture reading. That picture I took at Fort Street my first year working there. Can we go back to that? Is that all possible or am I going to mess anything up? <laughs> and I've held on to this picture and I have had it put into digital format, because this is back in the day when cameras had these rolls that you would put in them and you had to put film in. It's the last one. No worries. Don't worry about it then. Nope. The wonderful nature of that picture I see is a direct juxtaposition of a human being stuck between a gate with a cross and a sidewalk with a drain. And I look at that picture all the time and I think about all the people that are trapped. So with Walter, as long as I have the energy, as long as I have the ability, I will show my faith through my works. And I want to move to our second scripture reading, which is John 5, verses 1 through 9. This is one of my favorites. This is about the pools of Bethesda. You guys talked about that in here before? Pools of Bethesda in those days, well, by this time, it had become run down and ranchackled. But for many, many years, it had been adorned opulently. If you look up pictures, they will show you the stones that still exist. And they will, of course, add with computer all of the trappings that used to be. But by the time this story took place, it had fallen in disrepair. The presumption is that the pools in Bethesda were a natural spring. We have an earth, an amazing earth that we live on that is alive in its own right and gases would bubble up and the waters would churn. And people in those days believed, believed that it was an angel that had descended 
and it was the flapping of the wings of that angel that was stirring that water. And if they would rush to the water and touch the water, they could be healed. And so John 5, 19 is after there was a festival of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay five invalids, oh, I'm sorry, in these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, and while I'm making my own way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. So how do these relate? How does James, about faith in the absence of works is dead, relate to a man who is unwell, laying waiting for help. It's action. It is involvement. It is engagement. It is we alone, individually, are solely responsible for exemplifying the relationship that we have with our faith. Now, does that mean that someone like Walter could walk 20 miles without legs? No. But it does mean that someone like Walter can do something, can be a part, can exemplify faith can stop sitting and waiting and receiving help, can stop relying on faith alone to justify that relationship. And so when Anders and I talked about it and batted it around, I said it's perfect because James 2, 14 through 16 says, y'all need to get some work done, right? We've got faith. The Bible says that not all who call Lord will enter through the gates. There's constant stories about professions of faith, Right? Another one of my favorite ones were the widow's mite, the big urns. You would walk into church and you would dump your tithe in and it would make this great cacophonous sound based on how much you loved God by your exemplification of faith. And then the little old lady walks in and she drops her half penny in and it makes the tiniest plink and everybody's like, oh, you clearly don't love God. Faith is not enough. Works are required. When we work with people who are broken, Faith is not enough on their part either. Work is required. And that's one thing that Welcome In is very good at, mostly because even though we are a nonprofit, we were born from churches. We know that people need help. We know that people need us to do things for them that they mightn't be able to do in the time. But we also know that people need to be taught and guided and nurtured through making choices and taking actions to help themselves even if it's the littlest thing every single time, because every time we try something and succeed, we're willing to try something more, and we're willing to try something more. And if we don't imbibe that, if we don't accept that, if we don't look inward in that, the folks that we try to help, the homeless folks in our community, the homeless folks around the country, if they don't understand that they have to take an active role in their own growth, in their own relationship, in their own progress, in their own recovery, nothing that we will do will work. Because the minute we stop doing it for others, they will stop doing it for themselves. And so this become, became a perfect 
relationship when Anders and I said, hey, we're going to talk about deeds and works. So John, James says, faith is awesome. Works are needed. Calling Lord is not enough. I'm preaching to the choir literally. Half the people in this room I've seen working in some way at Welcome In in the six years I've been there. John says to me, to me, John says, those of you who need help, stop sitting, stop waiting, stop blaming. Understandably, you cannot do everything on your own, but you can do something. And one of the best parts about Welcome In is not only do we provide all those services that you provide, for folks to continue to grow and get access to higher services, we necessitate their involvement. Because once again, if I don't do it and you stop, what's the point? And so that essentially is where we wrap this message. The point I want us to take is we are in this together. The point I want us to take is understanding these words isn't good enough. It says that the demons understand that God exists. They understand Jesus existed. They don't care. So knowledge is not enough. Our practice, our will, our belief, our faith is where it starts. Our life, the exemplification of that faith, is how we prove to God that we understand what is asked of us. So thank you for having me. Thank you for, as a church, being a part of a program that I am now responsible for. Thank you for continuing this endeavor with us, and we have many more years together showing God that we get it, that we're going to believe, but we're going to take that belief and we're going to put it into action. So thanks for being part of our family. Praise be to God. <laughs>